Morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPaley.com by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Done by two ways. One passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, a handful of stuff we're going to get into today in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. And if you're catching this uh, video off of YouTube, you could also subscribe to the Passball Show podcast, which is available on iTunes, um, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Handful of stuff that we're going to get into today. Uh, I was a little excited to see some uh, preseason basketball. Obviously, we're in a position, obviously, in December where the, the season would have started already. We're getting ready to around a Christmas start of the National Basketball Association season. And you hear some big news right off the bat with Giannis Akunatampo agreeing to a max extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. And there's a couple reasons that this is really big for the NBA because we're used to seeing the star players, the best players in the league, kind of go regional to those national teams, whether it's the Lakers. And you see it happen most often in the NBA with the Lakers. Think about how many big players, big time, all-time players have played in the NBA and how many of them have managed to play for the Lakers at some point. It, it's no it's no coincidence. You know, it's not a coincidence that Carl Malone played there for a year. It's not a coincidence that Shaq ended up going there. It's not a coincidence that LeBron James is playing there right now. And you think about it, and obviously part of it is the the organization from the owner to the general manager, everybody that's been involved in the L.A. Lakers front office kind of identifying it and knowing that they are known for having the star players. But you think about it, you think of the small markets in the NBA, and you'll start to wonder why they can't land and maintain big-time players. And we talk about parity as it goes on in the world of sports, and I always say that the NFL is the best for this because it doesn't matter what kind of market you play in in the NFL. If you're in Jacksonville, if you're in Tennessee, uh, you could be in Green Bay, you know, who is probably, which is probably one of the lowest per population markets in the entire country. You could have a chance to have a really good team. You could have a chance to put a dynasty together. With the NBA, you think of the Toronto Raptors, and I know they made it to the postseason last year. They were a playoff team, so good for them. But they had Kawhi Leonard for one year. And even though they were in the mix to try to bring him back, he was wooed and basically taken over by Los Angeles. Los Angeles, which obviously has two teams, most predominantly the Lakers. But, you know, the Clippers uh, are trying to create the same type of excitement. And unfortunately, this past year, it didn't work out with Kawhi and Paul George and the Clippers. And they blamed it on Doc Rivers. And now... You know, Ty Lue is there, and you'll see if anything ends up changing. But, you know, you think of great players in the sport, and Giannis is is, a, is basically a transcending type of player. He can be an all-time great player. He's a guy that's expected to win multiple MVPs throughout his career in the NBA. And the one thing that I was fearful of is that he was going to hit free agency, and he was going to go to L.A., Maybe one of the L.A. teams. Maybe Miami. And even though the Knicks haven't been good for a while, there, there's this feeling, and it's not just within the Knicks fan base, the, the average NBA fan wants the Knicks to be good. They want New York to be good. They want L.A. to be good. They want Miami to be good. And you really haven't had 
a great run by a team that isn't the Lakers. It isn't, you know, the Golden State Warriors, who obviously are not that far away from L.A., the Bay Area, obviously have a history of themselves. But you think of the great teams in the NBA, and you don't see smaller cities, smaller regions, less built up and known cities in this country having a chance to have legitimate winners. And I'm happy for the city of Milwaukee. And I hope Gianna spends his entire career there. And hopefully with the salary cap, the Milwaukee Bucks can center some other really good players around him. And that team can go out there and win a couple championships. You know, it's interesting to see how that works out. Uh, I'm excited, obviously, about the NBA, and I promise I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow NBA games over the course of the year to give a lot more NBA insight on the PBS. Another thing that was uh, kind of newsworthy to bring up, and it's unfortunate because we don't like to have to talk about issues like this, but um, there is a story in The Athletic that Omar Vizquel was involved in something in regards to domestic abuse. And I'm going to tell you that I don't subscribe to The Athletic because I don't feel like I should have to pay for stuff that, you know, I, I could find out anyway. And I'm, I'm not as much of an avid reader. I can read stuff off the Internet. I don't feel like I'm getting anything extra with The Athletic. The Athletic has some of the best writers in the country. Absolutely. But I'm not going to use this to, to knock The Athletic, who I, as an entity, I have a ton of respect for. I just choose not to subscribe to it. That's all. But a domestic abuse story involving Omar Vizquel. And I'm going to use this as a reason to, to bring this up because this is what happens in the society that we live in. Once domestic abuse is tied to an individual, it's hard to get that to go away. And more often, way more often than not, in fact, probably 99 point whatever percent of the time domestic abuse is brought up in regards to a male, there is something to it. And, you know, you, you, I, I don't know what else to really say. I mean, this is coming from a person that I don't have any anger in me. I can't relate to domestic abuse and domestic violence because I, I can never feel that I could get to that point. But people do. And there's a lot more people that are less calm than me. But it isn't about me. A player gets their name thrown into this. And even if it, they're not as guilty as it says, it's a label that they're going to have to wear for a elongated period of time. And I say it's an elongated period of time as opposed to forever you know, giving the person the benefit of the doubt to say that, hey, it may not have been that big of a deal. You know, a, a husband and a wife arguing and the wife calls the cops doesn't constitute domestic violence. But usually anything that involves, you know, hitting or touching or, you know, anything that would resort in something like that does. And that person has to wear that label the rest of their life. And I think it's very, it's very much more important when it comes to, to those that are in the eye of the media. You have a camera following you around. You have people that care about your relevance and who you are. It, it, it will seem pretty foolish to allow something like that, that to happen. And if you do have any sort of anger problem to realize that you could go in a certain point to become violent, 
as a professional athlete, you have the money to go out there and get the help that you need. So there is no excuse. And like I said, we like to live if we're gonna if we're gonna stick up for somebody that's in this situation. We may, may want to say, well, maybe they didn't do anything as bad as it's perceived. Maybe it's not that big of a deal, and maybe it's not. We don't know. In fact, I haven't read the athletic story. If you read the athletic story, you can tell me, you know, whether this looks more damning on him or not. But the bottom line is Omar Vizquel, in the midst of a Hall of Fame vote, which he's not going to get in this year. You know, Omar Vizquel, I think. You, know, you ask me what I think about him. I'm not going to say hell no when it comes to the Baseball Hall of Fame because I think the Baseball Hall of Fame is a joke. I think the Baseball Hall of Fame has gone out of its way to hold out some of the best players. So you're going to ask me about you know marginal cases like Omar Vizquel, like Andrew Jones, like even a Scott Rowland or a Billy Wagner, and I'll say, sure, they should be in the Hall of Fame, but what about all those players that were neglected before? And that's the category that Vizquel is in. He he has a, a more drawn eye to him as a baseball Hall of Famer because Barry Bonds is in it. Because Roger Clemens and Pete Rose and Joe Jackson and Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa and Gary Sheffield and any Raphael Palmaro, everybody else that I can name that is ridiculously held out of the Hall of Fame for no reason is not in there. So this isn't going to be the difference in Omar Vizquel not getting selected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, it could hurt him down the road because, you know, these baseball writers are very judgmental. And certainly if this becomes a serious case, I mean, there's people that are holding out Kurt Schilling just because they don't like the things that he says. One thing has nothing to do with the other. I'm sorry. And if baseball is ever going to straighten out its Hall of Fame at some point, they're going to have to redefine the standards instead of keeping this vague character clause that exists within its Hall of Fame. You're judging somebody's character. Well, character in some cases has nothing to do with the, the game. You don't like Kurt Schilling because you think he might be racist. You don't like Kurt Schilling because of his political beliefs. You don't like Kurt Schilling because he may not like you. Should have nothing to do with judging his qualifications as a pitcher and i think the same thing exists with p rose i'm sorry we're you know they're wrong with this i'm telling the baseball hall of fame has got it wrong p rose belongs in the baseball hall of fame if you want to put in the fact that he's banned for life for gambling for betting on the game and for what he did as a manager that's fine you could put that on the whole plaque if you want p rose was a hall of famer before he became a manager. P. Rose was a Hall of Famer before he bet on baseball. And the worst take you could have out there is that P. Rose is not a Hall of Famer. He was a borderline candidate outside of the fact that he had the most hits in the history of baseball. He was a three-time batting champ and MVP, hit over 300 for his career, which, by the way, is pretty hard to when he played in the most games, had the most plate appearances, and had the most at-bats. To still hit 300 in your career, who does that compare to? All the comparables would be Hall of Famers. So those are just people that don't like P. Rose because he's, he's he was a degenerate gambler. He obviously got himself banned for life, which is something completely different. P. Rose criteria as a player should be judged when we're talking about the Baseball Hall of Fame. 
Now we say, all right, well, he's ineligible. And the baseball passed a, a rule said that if you're banned from the sport, you're, you're ineligible for the Hall of Fame. So they did that to screw P. Rose. But once again, we're talking about two separate things. P. Rose, the guy, might not be a good person. P. Rose, the uh, uh, manager or the way that he acted in his days betting on baseball, there was never any evidence that tied him to betting on anything when he was a player. And when he was a player, he was in a, the epitome of what baseball was to be played as. You play as hard as you can. You play like Pete Rose. If you're a kid growing up, you're, you're learning how to play baseball, you, you learn how to play like Pete Rose all out, all the time. And this guy was a Hall of Famer without a doubt. And obviously is not eligible because he's banned for baseball for life. But last thing I want to get into with Fiskel, as you got the roof caving in above me. Last thing uh, I mentioned about Fiskel, 2,800 hits, you know, so many gold gloves. I don't think he quite was Ozzie Smith, but I think he was a pretty damn good defensive player. And if you, if you, the Baseball Hall of Fame clears up some of the oversights that it has, not putting Barry Bonds, not putting Roger Clemens in, not putting P. Rose in, not putting Shulis Joe Jackson in, not putting sluggers like Manny Ramirez and Albert Bell, and of course now the late Dick Allen, baseball and his Hall of Fame should start working on stuff like that before it worries about a case like Omar Vizquel. But Omar Vizquel may have, have hurt his chances of getting in in the long term now. This copyrighted broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So I wanted to talk a little bit about coaches in the NFL and the ties to a quarterback. Because I think it really is important when you start to see quarterbacks come into their own and become stars, it usually has to do with whether it's a head coach. Sometimes you don't have an offensive-minded head coach. You have a, a quarterback's coach or a assistant head coach or an offensive coordinator. But whatever it is, there's usually a connection between a coach and a quarterback. And you're starting to see it in Cleveland this year with Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield may not be you know, all world. He may not be in a, a tremendous league of his own, but he's very effective when he goes out there and performs for the Cleveland Browns because there's an offense set and that's centered around him. You watched him in a, in a Monday night game against the Ravens, Probably the best played game all year. One that I'm glad I watched from A to Z. A game that clearly could have gone either way. Baker Mayfield looked like he exuded the best out of himself. There was nobody trying to make Baker Mayfield out into anything that he wasn't. There were short passes. There were designs. There were reads that were set up for Baker Mayfield. And because of that, he, he was the most efficient that I've seen him in a long time, and he's he's been efficient for the most part this year. You know, somebody can knock Baker Mayfield and say, hey, he may, he may not be a top 
five quarterback in the league. He may not be an MVP at any point in the National Football League. And that might be true. You know, he's a little short. You see certainly a handful of passes that he throws get batted down at the line of scrimmage. But you're looking at somebody that's kind of the combination of a a game-breaking player and a game manager. And that's kind of what Kevin Stefanski was able to put together when he took over to Cleveland Browns as their head coach. There's no coincidence that Josh Allen is becoming a star in Buffalo with due to his connection with head coach Sean McDermott. Yeah. Yeah, there there's other quarterbacks that are out there that have a legitimate connection to their head coaches. You know, Bill Belichick was known as a defensive guy. He came over uh, you know, to the Giants as a special teams coach, became the defensive coordinator, but he had a very strong connection with Tom Brady. Of course, you you look at the offensive coordinator that was there. You know, Josh McDaniels And, you know, there's a connection between the coach and the quarterback. And I think going back to the show that I did last week, talking about Sam Darnold, I think that could be a saving grace when we're thinking about what Sam Darnold can be down the road. Is there going to be that either head coach or offensive coordinator connection with that quarterback to run an offense that's best suited for that quarterback? and to not try to make that quarterback be anything that he's not. If you look at the Baltimore Ravens, the way they're set up, and I'm sorry, we're probably going to get bombed here with the amount of shit that you hear friggin' banging upstairs. You know, know, if you think of the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, and that offense is set up for Lamar Jackson. It's so set up for Lamar Jackson that Robert Griffin III is the backup, and he's going to run the same exact offense as Lamar Jackson. And Tracy McSorley is the third-string quarterback. He comes out of Penn State. He is in the same type of mold to run the same kind of offense that Lamar Jackson's going to run. And that's what's going to be the key to any quarterback in the National Football League. It's going to be a matter of having a head coach, an offensive coordinator, that's going to set up an offensive scheme to center exactly around the quarterback that's there and not making that quarterback try to be anything that they're not. And you're seeing it with Baker Mayfield. And it'll be interesting to see in Philadelphia with the Eagles, whether it's Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts or you know maybe they make some kind of trade in Chicago, whether it's Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles or somewhere else, or they go somewhere else whether it's the Jets with Sam Darnold or, you know, the expectation is that they're going to go out there and be able to draft Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson, you know, Jacksonville, they end up with, with uh, Justin Fields. You know, the question is going to be, is that quarterback best suited for the offense that the coach wants to run? And if that coach has the ability to change his offense, change his own mind and not be selfish and set the offense to be best suited for the quarterback that he has. I think that should be the way every team in the National Football League tries to go. I mean, even look at Mike Vrabel and, uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, I, don't, I don't know his name. is Smith, something Smith, uh, the, uh, the offensive coordinator with the Titans. You know, the, the, they run an offense that is best suited for Ryan Tannehill. Now, you say Derrick Henry is a big part of it. But Ryan Tannehill does the best things that are most suitable for Ryan Tannehill's skill set. So, I mean, if you're a 
team that wants to go anywhere in football, if you feel like you got your quarterback and the head coach and the offensive coordinator isn't trying to put together an offense to center around that quarterback, then I think you're behind the times in a National Football League. I want to spend a little time talking about some free agent predictions that I'm going to put together. But first, when we're talking about the top 100 offensive position players of all time, there's a book we're going to hopefully be able to get it published and released sometime around spring training. And maybe Major League Baseball will help us out by pushing back the start of the season. But, you know, if you haven't heard about the book, it's talking about the top 100 offensive position players to ever play. And we're not talking about the dead ball era. We're not talking about, uh, you know, integration. We're not talking about a certain time from, you know, this year on. We're talking about every form of professional baseball that ever existed. So we talk about the Mexican League. We talk about uh, the National Association. We talk about baseball before the National Association in the 1860s. We talk about the Players League, the Federal League, obviously the American and National Leagues. But we also talk about the live ball era, the dead ball era, and baseball in the 19th century. But one of the, one of the things that you know kind of comes up a lot in the book and states is one of the hardest things to do is to equate the accomplishments of a star Negro Leagues player to that of a star player in baseball. And part of it is the unfairness that exists with the racism, the segregation, and the Jim Crow laws, and baseball's gentleman's agreement, which couldn't have, couldn't be more of an oxymoron when we're talking about something that was so unfair um, so unhumane and just should not have happened. And then you also have the statistics part. The fact that Major League Baseball had no problem keeping track of all their statistics. And uh, the Negro Leagues were not set up properly. They were said they were set up to compete against each other, but there wasn't anybody there that was scribing every single thing that was happening. There were certainly whole seasons that weren't tracked. There were partial seasons that weren't tracked. Those in the Negro Leagues Museum that have worked to try to come up with as much Negro League stats as they can deserve to be commended. But it's got to be understood that you can't compare apples to apples when you don't have similar numbers. So I look at some of the greatest players in the history of the Negro Leagues. And in fact, one, two, three, four, five, six of them are going to be in the top 100. When I publish this book, top 100 offensive position players to ever play, there's going to be a couple that are on the outside looking in. And we'll start out with Pop Lloyd, who's going to be, I think he's around 109, 110. Uh, I compare him to Hannes Wagner and a lot of other people do that too. A, a shortstop, but also um, the best hitter on the team. Can hit for average, didn't hit for that much power, but got on base and stole bases, but you know, was pretty much the offensive star of the team. So Pop Lloyd is Hannes Wagner. Cool Papa Bell. And the thing that I love, the comment, the quote that I love hearing about Cool Papa Bell the best, and I put it in a book. I mean, I'm citing where it's coming from, but, uh, you know, I can't talk about Cool Papa Bell without saying Cool Papa Bell was so fast, he had a line drive up the middle and hit himself, slide in second base. He may have been the fastest player that the game has ever seen. So why not compare him? to Ricky Henderson. Now, the problem you have with the Negro Leagues is, 
you're going to have a faction of people that are going to say, well, why are you comparing a Negro Leagues player to a black player? And I think I think it's losing sight of what we're trying to talk about here. Talk about a player that played in the Negro Leagues who unfortunately doesn't get their their due justice for what they did and what they accomplished because a lot of their stats weren't recorded to compare them to a contemporary player to say that that player was just like him. Chino Smith ended up dying before he was 32 years old or at the age of 32 suddenly. Um, was a 398 hitter for his career in the Negro Leagues. I compare him to Tony Gwynn. Just a, a pure hitter, was going to get line drive base hits no matter what. And you know, weren't going to see many games that were going to go by without him getting a couple base knocks. Turkey Stearns, power hitter. Um, I think of Frank Robinson when I think of Turkey Stearns. Stearns, uh, you know, certainly hit a, a ton of home runs, a lot more home runs than ever got recorded. And Frank Robinson, if you think of the presence that he had, he was just a mean power hitter. You didn't want to you, you didn't want to throw inside to Frank Robinson because you're worried if you hit him, he might hurt you. Turkey Stearns kind of reminds me of the same way. Mule Suttles, uh, even though he was a left hand hitter, Jimmy Fox was a right hand hitter. I think of some of the best power hitters in the game, and I think Mule Suttles would be a very good comp to the legendary Jimmy Fox. Buck Leonard, and uh, one of the quotes I was able to get from Monty Irvin when I interviewed him back when he was still around, and obviously rest in peace to Monty. Uh, You know, he lived, uh, what, 96 great years. Uh, We talked about Buck Leonard, And we talked about how Buck Leonard was kind of like Lou Gehrig as far as his ability to hit for a high average, um, you know, drive in runs whenever there were were ducks on the pond, coming up with a big hit whenever he needed it, a home run whenever he needed it. And he said about, you know, Monty Irvin said about Buck Leonard that people may over time, if they really got to see Buck Leonard play, say that. Lou Gehrig was MLB's version of Buck Leonard. Not that Buck Leonard was a direct comp to Lou Gehrig. And that's an absolute compliment. Oscar Charleston is really the Ty Cobb of his time. Tremendous base runner, base stealer. Um, hit the ball in the gaps. Was a, was a threat. Was going to hit for a high average. And then, of course, you got Josh Gibson, who always gets compared to the legendary Babe Ruth. If you have any more Negro Leagues comps, send them to me, jrpl.com. We'll bring them up on the next show. A little bit of a recap of the show today. And as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by johnpla.com, by St. Aloysius Church at School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, Omar Vizquel getting hit with a domestic abuse charge. I don't think it's going to impact him in the Hall of Fame this year. It may down the road, though. Because think about it, baseball really digs into somebody's personal life. They really care about how you are as a person, which I think is a change. Spoke about P. Rose, what he did on the baseball field had nothing nothing to do with what he did as a manager and as a gambler. Should he be banned for life? Sure. But should his accomplishments be warranted as good enough for the Baseball Hall of Fame? Absolutely. You don't hit 300 in your career with way more plate appearances and at-bats than anybody in baseball history and not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. 
So should Joe Jackson. So should Barry Bonds. So should Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, Rafael Palmaro, Albert Bell, Manny Ramirez, and so on and so on and so forth. Vizquel was not going to make it in this year. But if you want to use the character clause just to be mentioned with domestic violence, and we don't have really the, the details, it's going to be something he's going to have to wear for probably the rest of his life. Gianna Sakunatumpo signing a max extension to stay with the Milwaukee Bucks, I think is great for the NBA. And I spoke about earlier about it seems like the Lakers and, you know, the Miami Heat, and in some cases the Clippers – um, you know, you think of Philadelphia a little bit, New York a little bit, Chicago a little bit. And what they have in common is they're all major markets. And the NBA seems to care more about those markets than they do the little ones. You know, they don't care much about the Oklahoma cities. They don't care that much about the Milwaukee's. And the fact that Giannis has felt enough that he wants to remain with the Milwaukee Bucks. And there's no free agency. There's not going to be a Giannis war for teams trying to get him. I think that's great for the National Basketball Association. So I'm going to throw a couple quick free agent predictions in there when it comes to baseball because I, I got a couple extra minutes. I was thinking about the top free agents, and you already hear that the Mets are negotiating with Jake Gautarisi. And the point that I was trying to make earlier is Gautarisi could be a good signing. Trevor May could be a good signing. James McCann could be a good signing. But when the thought is, is going out there is that you're consistently going to go out there and get the best player, at some point you got to go out there and get the best player. Now you heard the Mets have a very big interest in getting Trevor Bauer. I would think it would be very hard to do if they signed Jake Gautarisi. And that's why I think pretty confidently that Trevor Bauer is going to end up with the Los Angeles Angels. JT Realmuto is obviously not going to the Mets because they signed James McCann. I think there's a possibility that the Phillies decide that they are able to bring him back all of a sudden. Maybe the owner could be talked into it by David Dombrowski. I mean, that was a great hire for the Phillies, bringing in a well-known baseball man, somebody that's going to have some influence. So I'm not, I'm not surprised that that could lead to maybe the owner talking down his thoughts about not spending a lot of money and having to cut payroll. But in the end... I think JT is going to the Washington Nationals. I think the Mets will end up with George Springer. And honestly, if they don't, I'll think that they struck out on JT. I'll think that they struck out on Bauer. I'll think that they'll have struck out on uh, George Springer too. So to say, hey, uh, the owner how all of a sudden has this money and all of a sudden we're settling for second best players, it's not putting the Mets in the best position to go out there and win next year. And if they're going to be a, a mediocre playoff team, a team that should make the playoffs, and we'll see what happens in the postseason, you know, you're going to watch as other teams that are going to go out there and get better. DJ LeMahieu will be coming back to the Yankees. I'd be shocked if he signed anywhere else. I think this is posturing on the Yankees' part, trying to get LeMahieu to talk down his asking price. Um, I think there's a chance, you know, if you're the Blue Jays, if you're the Mets, if you're you know, somebody that may have a little bit extra money this, this offseason, you want to go out there and overpay for DJ LeMahieu, I think he could get him. But I don't think there's anybody that's going to go five years at an exceeding rate. So I think LeMahieu will be with the Yankees. 
Last player I want to get into today, and I'll do more free agent predictions throughout shows the rest of the next month or so. Next one's going to be Marzell Ozuna. And I think the Toronto Blue Jays are waiting for a big splash. They're waiting for something to kind of give themselves some energy. I think Marzell Ozuna is that. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you Saturday. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.